0: Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor, and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. Trinity Sunday John 3 1 to 15. Let us pray. Holy and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who alone has our salvation in your hands, who begins, continues, and completes it, have mercy on us all. Father of light, send us your Holy Spirit, that he would reveal to us the grace of your Son, and work faith in him in our hearts, that we, whom your Son has redeemed, may be and remain the temple of your Spirit of grace. Your dear children and heirs of salvation, here in faith and there in sight, hear us for the sake of your grace and truth, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, while today the word rebirth is unknown to the world and manifest unbelievers. Those who believe in God's word use it frequently, yet erroneous opinions are often disseminated on the highly important and mysterious work of the rebirth. The sects of our new homeland almost continually utter the word rebirth and use it for the most part to incite fear. They mention such a great host of extraordinary distinguishing marks of rebirth that even many sincere Christians become troubled. They must confess that, according to these distinguishing marks, they are not yet reborn and could not be saved. Not seldom do they teach that only he is reborn who can mention the day and hour in which a great mighty change of his whole being took place in him. They teach that the true rebirth takes place suddenly. The sinner feels how in one second he was carried from death into life, from darkness to light, from hell into heaven. They teach that as soon as the rebirth has occurred, a sweet heavenly peace fills the heart. Immediately he becomes so certain of his salvation that he could swear that his sins are forgiven, that he stands in grace and that he is saved. Many overexcited people go still farther. They maintain that true conversion or rebirth occurs only if the sinner is overwhelmed with boundless joy, has heavenly visions and raptures, and if he, prostrated by fear of hell, lies there for a time as though dead, moved by an invisible hand, he is then forced to shout aloud for joy and hop and jump and confess, now I have grace, now I have found forgiveness, now I feel that I am one of the elect. Many of us have witnessed such a show, or at least have heard a story of such a rebirth. Many see that this cannot be the true understanding of the rebirth. They reject it as the workings of a heated imagination. But most do not know the truth in in connection with this important point. Some reject this mysterious work completely. Others say that everyone must be born again by the Holy Spirit but they do not have the proper understanding of it, and even fewer have had a living person experience it, often throwing away the truth with the error. When many hear the biblical Lutheran teaching that a person is born again through holy baptism, they conclude that all those who were baptized in their youth are also reborn Christians in adulthood, or they suppose that at least he who betters himself refrains from all gross sins and vices, and lives honorably, has experienced this mysterious change. Unfortunately, there are many among us who believe that they can prove that they are true Lutherans when they scold the errorists and mockingly reject their false doctrines of the rebirth, all the while remaining blind themselves. Through their stupid, crude arguing, they show that they have not yet experienced the new birth. Those who want to conquer error with error do the kingdom of God the greatest harm. A spiritually blind and dead man who embraces the pure faith will be more greatly punished than an enthusiast who, overpowered by error, slaves in self-elected works in order to be saved. It is therefore necessary that we hear the true biblical teaching of the rebirth. God grant that the sermon on it enlightens all of us. My friends, the gospel just read has been appointed from olden times for today's festival of the Holy Trinity. However, only by forcing the text can we deduce the mystery and teaching of this mystery. Our gospel gives us a more wonderful opportunity to consider the work of regeneration. Permit me to explain it to you today. The important doctrine of rebirth how necessary the rebirth is, wherein it really consists, and finally, by what means and how it is worked in us. Just how necessary the rebirth is for our salvation, Christ tells us in today's text. He says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Once more, he repeats the very same words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The rebirth is not something a Christian could or could not have, not an experience of strong Christians which weak Christians could get along without, not a high stage of Christianity which not all must attain. It does not say that it is good, it is desirable it is beneficial, it is reasonable to experience this rebirth, but unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It amounts to this, whoever is not reborn does not belong in God's kingdom, but in the kingdom of Satan. An unregenerate has not made even the first step toward God's kingdom. Yes, as Christ says, he has not even seen it. He is still far removed from God's grace. His sins have not yet been forgiven, and in this state he cannot possibly be saved. He is a lost sinner. It is worthy of note that Christ swears to this with a fourfold oath of truly. Why does Christ do this? Usually, he does this only with the most important truths upon which our salvation depends. With this fourfold oath, he wants us to awaken, to awaken to pay close attention to his words. We should recognize that he does not consider it a joke, but most serious. Christ, as it were, takes God himself as his witness, that it has been irrevocably once and for all decided, that without the rebirth, no one will come into his kingdom or even see it. When Christ continues, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He further testifies for whom the rebirth is so necessary, namely, for all natural men. For when Christ says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, he means that through the natural birth, by which all men come into the world, we all become only fleshly persons. We are not spiritual, and therefore not fit for the kingdom of God. We inherit from our natural parents, not divine life and spirit, but sin, We are by nature flesh. We are conceived and born in sin, full of darkness, blindness, and enmity against God. The Apostle Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. First Corinthians 2 Every person who is born needs the rebirth. Whoever is not born a completely different person through the power of the Holy Spirit cannot obtain eternal life. It does not help that many men are naturally very good-natured and have many praiseworthy attributes and virtues before God. Everything which we have by nature, though it may shine as the sun, is because of original sin, flesh, darkness, sinful, unspiritual, and ungodly and it will become more clear to us for whom the rebirth is necessary when we consider who Nicodemus was to whom Christ said, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was already a member of the true church. He had been taken into the covenant of grace by the sacrament of circumcision. He was an old experienced man. He was an elder of the Jews, a strict Pharisee. And yet, not so hypocritical and haughty as most of them. He did not despise Christ as they did, much less hate and persecute him. He considered Jesus a rabbi and a teacher come from God and gladly heard his teaching. He even went to him by night in order to converse with him about the way of salvation. He was a learned man, well-versed in the scriptures. In other words, Nicodemus was a distinguished man about whom everyone thought, If he does not enter heaven, then who will? And yet, what does Christ say when Nicodemus comes to him? He slammed the door to heaven shut in his face, saying that unless he becomes spiritual, born again, he, with all his knowledge, virtues, and works, and with all his holiness, righteousness, worthiness, piety, and experience, will be eternally lost. From this it is clear, my dear hearers, that you can be a member of the true church. You can be born again through holy baptism. You can have many experiences in the world and even have gray hair. You can gladly and diligently hear God's word, know the pure doctrine, consider it the truth, and defend it. You can be ever so pious that the whole world gazes at you in astonishment as a living saint and yet be merely a natural man who is still shut out of the kingdom of heaven. If you do not have a heart reborn by the Holy Spirit, yes, even more, outwardly you can seem to be even a thousand times better than a truly regenerate Christian, but that will not help in the least if you are not reborn, because the Lord looks at the heart. The question now arises, wherein does this mysterious work of rebirth really consist? Permit me, in the second place, to speak to you of this. The word rebirth is a veiled word by which Christ wants us to awaken our attention. It really includes nothing else than the new life of true faith. What Christ indicates in a veiled manner with his talk of the new birth, he expresses at the close of our text in clear, unveiled words. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Many people will think, oh, if the rebirth is nothing else than faith, what need is there for more words on the subject? Who should not believe? Do we not all believe in Christ? Are we not all therefore reborn? Have we not all experienced that mysterious work in our souls? Ah, my friends, I do not want to awaken anyone doubts into his state of grace, which God has sealed to his reborn child through faith. A preacher of the gospel has no other command and no higher duty than to make all his hearers certain of their state of grace and preserve them in it. And oh, what more can I wish that all of you should save from your heart. We believe in him who was lifted up for us on the cross. But my dearly beloved friends, you must not think that because the rebirth is nothing else than faith, there is no need for it. For who does not believe? On the contrary, you must think this way. Since in scripture, faith is also called rebirth, we must have the true reborn faith. From this very fact, you see that the true faith cannot merely be an empty fancy, a powerless conviction of the mind about the truth of the gospel. It must be something living, powerful, active, and continually working, something which changes and renews our hearts and minds, something which makes us completely new people in intellect, mind, and all our powers. The word rebirth, according to the purport of the word, can be nothing else than a complete renewing of the whole man. As the physical birth gives us physical life, movement, desires, will, understanding, and powers, the rebirth gives us new spiritual movement, desires, will, understanding, and powers. It can be nothing else, for we are by nature not only completely outside God's kingdom of grace, but also without true knowledge of God and his will. We do not know the way of peace. We do not trust, love, and fear God from our heart. We cannot, for we are his enemies. If a person comes to true faith in Christ, the work of the new birth takes place in him. He is not only justified. He is not only changed from a child of wrath to a child of grace, from a sinner to a righteous person from one damned to a saint. He not only steps from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, but because this takes place, he is awakened from his natural spiritual death and comes to spiritual life. And a new heavenly light is enkindled in his understanding. Now he really knows God and the way to God. He no longer considers the gospel as a foolish sealed mystery, but as a new blessed revelation in which he finds truth and clarity that enlightens him more and more. The innermost foundation of his heart is also filled with love, fear, and trust in God. A person who truly believes becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit, who now ceaselessly incites him to all good works. In spiritual matters, such a person no longer judges according to his reason and the suggestions of his heart. But the Word of God takes complete possession of his soul and rules, rules him. The Word of God is now his light, his wisdom, and his counsel, his comfort and his hope, his weapon and his refuge. Yes, the Word of God becomes his second life, his second soul. He carries it in himself, written in his heart, not in ink, not with the stylus of remembrance, but with the fiery flames of the Holy Spirit. A reborn person is a completely new creature. He thinks and judges according to the word. He speaks according to the word. He lives according to the word. He is ready to endure and suffer everything for the word, and if necessary, die for it. Now, in whom of us has the word of God thus arisen as the divine fruitful seed of rebirth? Whose heart burns? as in the disciples on the way to Emmaus, because Jesus spoke with him through the gospel and opened to him the scriptures. Alas, it is only too clear that many of us merely let the word ring in our ears and carry it on our lips, but we do not yet let ourselves be possessed, changed, and renewed by the word. There are many who do not yet know themselves, who still judge according to reason, in whose heart the gospel has not yet become clear, and who have not yet experienced its power to save all who believe it. There are many who consider themselves as Christians only because they remain with Christians and live honorably, though the word has no power over them. You who feel struck, awaken! Do not let yourself be invited any longer in vain to the marriage feast of grace. Ask and hunt for the treasure of salvation. Consider that the outward change which has perhaps taken place in you helps not at all. You together with your imagined good works will be lost. You must be reborn. Bear in mind, reborn. For Christ says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This leads me to our concluding thought, in which we wish to consider briefly with what and how the rebirth is worked in us. Our first answer is this. No person can work the rebirth in and by himself. Just as we have nothing to do with creating our natural life, so we have nothing to do with being born anew spiritually. Christ says in our text, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Hence, the new birth is a mysterious, incomprehensible work of the Holy Spirit. Yet we must not say we must lay our hands in our laps and calmly wait for the spirit of rebirth to come upon us. No, indeed, the Holy Spirit alone works that change, not without means but through the means of the word and sacraments. Christ says, you must be born of water and the spirit. Here Christ mentions only the sacrament of baptism, because among the means of grace, it is the door through which we enter into the kingdom of grace. But why does the water of baptism have the divine power to give birth to the souls of men so that they enter into God's kingdom? Only because the water of baptism is connected with God's word. For as Luther says, It is not the water indeed that does them, but the Word of God, which is in and with the water, and faith, which trusts the Word of God in the water. For without the Word of God, the water is simple water and no baptism. But with the Word of God, it is a baptism, that is, a gracious water of life, and a washing of regeneration in the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, the Gospel, is the real means whereby the person is born again by God's Spirit. James writes, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James 1.18. And Peter says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 1 Peter 1.23. The question now arises, how does this rebirth take place? As far as man is concerned, nothing more can be done than that he read and hear God's word, and in so doing, not willfully close his heart to the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. If you do that, if you use God's word and do not willfully resist the Holy Spirit, God's word will, first of all, convince you that you are a sinner, that in your natural condition you are an enemy of God, that you have a thousand times offended God who loved you from eternity and therefore merited his wrath and temporal and eternal punishment. If you really let yourself be convinced of this, you will become truly frightened, frightened over yourself. You will become anxious and sigh, where shall I flee because I am burdened with so many great sins? Where shall I find deliverance? All the world could not take away my anxiety. We sometimes find that those in this condition are like those whose heart Peter's sermon of repentance pierced. They cried out, Sirs, what shall we do? But blessed is he who, with humbled spirit, full of anxiety, under the feelings of his sin, asks this question. In the gospel, he hears the comforting word, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, and you shall be saved. If a, savior, if a sinner clings to this word, even if at first very weakly, perhaps merely with a sigh, ah, that I also could believe that, then God's Spirit has conquered him. Then his holy wind has come with his wonderful sigh without the sinner suspecting it and has borne him anew. From this instance, a new light A new heart, a new life, a new spirit is in that man. Blessed are you who have already experienced this. But let me also ask, have you also kept this grace of the rebirth? Have you faithfully guarded it with watching and prayer? Or have you again fallen into temptation? Alas, this happens so easily. Almost all baptized children lose this faith and the new life kindled in their souls as Nicodemus did. Only too many of even those who later return through true sorrow and faith to their baptism and baptismal grace received in their childhood throw a good conscience away, suffer shipwreck of their faith, thus sink again from the new life to the old depth, as Demas did, who left Paul and loved the world. As the fallen Galatian, they must be born again if they want to enter into the kingdom of God. Let us all therefore examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith that cleanses our heart and whether we bring the fruits of the spirit that always follow faith. St. Peter says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Second Peter 1. Christ's irreversible judgment reads, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works Concordia Publishing House St. Louis Missouri cph.org. We thank you for tuning in and we pray that God's word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life. You are listening to K P95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.